The Arthropod. The Arthropod is the home for the wonderful, weird, wacky world of insects. Hosted by Jonathan Larson, Jody Green, and Michael Scavarla. Welcome back, everybody, to Arthropod, your entomology podcast. I'm your host, Jody Green, from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And today, I have a special guest that I'm hanging out with at the National Conference on Urban Entomology. Special guest. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Maria Gonzalez uh, Morales. I'm a PhD candidate at North Carolina State University, working with Dr. Kobe Shaw. I know you do things in an urban lab, and we've worked with bedbugs, and I know a lot of our listeners have heard me talk about bedbugs a lot, and we've had a couple other guests talk about bedbugs, but you have a very interesting research because you're talking about bedbugs in a different setting. Let's first talk about, like, okay, so what is a bedbug? <laughs> yeah, this is a really good question. Uh, bedbugs are hematophagous insects, so they, they feed on blood and ectoparasites, so they're outside of the body and feed on blood. And they're tiny little creatures that actually, we think they have evolved from the bad bug. Um, that's, a, that's a main theory, that's how they came here. So they, there's a theory or the idea that they started with the caveman and that's how it evolved to start moving with us. However, there's other people that mention that it could be from birds, but that is a bedbug, it's an ectoparasite that feeds on blood. Did you read that paper when they said that the bedbugs have been around since the dinosaurs? Yes. Isn't that It's a really cool paper. Do you think that the bedbugs fed on the dinosaurs? They need blood to survive, so I oh. will guess so. <laughs> do, do you think that you would grow up to study bedbugs? What do you mean? Like, were you always interested oh. in bugs? <laughs> I like bugs. I used to call it caterpillars as a kid. Um, none of them were butterflies. I wasn't that successful. All of them were moths. And I remember being annoyed because all of them were like, not pretty color. I was a kid. I was nine. Uh, none of them had yellow or pink and oh. they all were black. Um, but that I had um, a lot of fish tanks full of caterpillars. And I think that's how I started. Then I move on to, I didn't want a job that was in an office. I wanted to do things outside. I get bored really quickly. And I did agronomy as a bachelor. And that's, I think, how I started looking at bugs. Where did you grow up? I am from Puerto Rico. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. My first language is Spanish. And I did my bachelor's there in agronomy, in crop protection. Oh, Okay. Because usually caterpillars are, are pests of crops. Yes. So is that how you got into the caterpillar yes. thing? Yes, it was. Oh, okay. I can't remember the name of the black, common black ones with yellow lines, uh, red in both corners. They're very common everywhere. <laughs> can't remember the name. I remember going to the neighbor's house because she had a particular plant uh, with flowers that always had them. And she hated them because she eats the plant very right. quick. And the neighbor let me in, and I just started collecting all of her. So you were actually doing IPM. Yeah. You were, like, handpicking <laughs> her. Yes, you were handpicking her caterpillars off her plants for her. <laughs> and then how did it morph into... Okay, so then did you leave Puerto Rico to go to college then? I did my bachelor's in Puerto Rico. Okay. In the University of Puerto Rico at Mayagüez. But then when did you leave Puerto Rico to, to go to grad school? I got a scholarship to do an exchange program okay. when I was as an undergrad and work at New Mexico State University. Oh, okay. Where I wanted to work still with insects related to crops. 
That's okay. what I wanted to do at that point. However, there was no one. And I met with Dr. Avalor Romero. Yeah. And I told him I want to do something with insects and crops. And he was like, I'm an urban entomologist. Yeah. That's tough. But he offered me the opportunity to work with essential oils coming from plants to control bed bugs okay. or to, to deal with bed bugs. And that's how he got me in. It's like, nice. it's plants still. So you get the chance to like still talk about plants. Yeah. And that's how I started. And it shows that really, I always say, well, you know, insects or bugs or like they, you can relate them with anything. Yes. Right. Yes. It's just like, oh yeah, bugs are involved in that. Mm-hmm. Insects can be involved in that. Oh yeah. So that's pretty neat that he involved you in that. You should have came to Nebraska. There's so many crops, I, you know, so I many crop pests. Even, yeah, I didn't, my goal was never to leave Puerto Rico. Like I didn't even realize, my English wasn't good. Like any, I'm still working on it. Um, so for me, the possibility of leaving wasn't an option. When he said yes, I was like, okay, I'll work. And then I came back to Puerto Rico, finish. And when I was about to finish, he also offered me a master. I was like, okay, that is cool. I, I, I told him, I'm not sure if I can make it. Like that's my English. And I was yeah. like, we'll figure out. It was a, a rocky road to get there, but yeah. it's been fun. Yeah, and you've done so well. You're, I think your English is fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm trying. <laughs> so then how did you get to what your, your research is now? So my master's was uh, completely urban entomology, and I shifted to completely bed bugs. And I started working with pyrethroid resistance and uh, the toxification enzymes to work there in understanding how resistance work mm-hmm. in bed books. And I did two chapters there. And before I was about to graduate, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I love resistance. I love bed books. Uh, help people. Was this at NC State? Uh, uh, New Mexico. This was, okay. Yeah. And then I contact a couple of people like, hey, I, I think I want to keep going. And that's how I met Kobe. And it's like, mm-hmm. I like resistance. I like bugs please help me. Yeah. And that's how I end up still working with resistance, which I really love because it's very similar to what we see in crops. So I, I always have that in the back of my mind, resistance, insecticide resistance, and the use of insecticide in crops. The model is very similar to what we see in urban entomology. And I love the combination between urban entomology and agriculture, even though a lot of people don't see it, but cockroaches and bed dogs have an impact on, on farms and on, on production and other agricultural settings. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about what Kobushaw's lab is about? Like, yes. Because, I mean, he's pretty popular in the urban world. Kobe, when I got accepted there, I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? I Wow. He works with cockroaches in every single sense, like genetics, uh, glucose aversion, bait, resistance, and in bed dogs as well. So there's a lot happening in the lab, and it's, I'm very grateful because I get to learn a lot of different things. But I was able to establish good research that I like in, in insecticide resistance, both in cockroaches, because he introduced me to cockroaches. He was like, well, you do bed dogs, what about cockroaches? Like, yeah, let's, let's jump in. Um, so I got to do a lot of insecticide resistance, like beyond what I knew and beyond what I understood. So it took me to a, a level that I understood better insecticide resistance overall. Mm-hmm. And you are at such a high level, I have to brag, that <laughs> like yesterday in the, like the op- after the opening ceremonies, there was a doctoral student award and that was you for your, you. For your work <laughs> with resistance. But today, I, I think this is a fascinating topic because when you just mentioned how urban paths can affect agriculture and, and people, you also 
won an award today for bed bugs in poultry houses. And I don't even know what the title was, but it was really cool. What was your title? It was Our Bed Bugs Taking Bites from Us and from Our Food. Uh, Sino Identification, a study on um, bed bug control in poultry farms. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I don't know much about poultry farms. I do eat chicken. Like, how many poultry farms are there? How how big are they? Well, we gotta think chicken is the actual number one source of meat in the United States. So there's a good amount of production. For example, North Carolina is not chicken, but in poultry related, uh, it's the number one producer of turkey, if I'm not wrong. So chicken, it's it's available through the state. So it's not only one state that produces, multiple states produce chicken to complete the demand that we have for it. And we gotta think it's not only chickens, we also eat eggs. So it's a, it's a really big industry and it has a lot of money invested in it because that's the number one uh, meat producer in the, in, the, in the states. So are they really big facilities? Oh, they're massive. Uh, Bird houses just want, usually it's compounded, it's multiple houses in, in one poultry house, depending on age and all mm-hmm. these things, so you can keep cycling them. But it's one of them is the average of poultry houses is 20,000 square feet. Wow. So you, when I stood up in the beginning in the door and see that you can barely see the end and you can see chickens and chickens and chickens up to the end. So it's, it's, it's those are massive structures. And then are they in pens or cages depending on what the chickens are for so you have broilers you have layers so it's like for eggs they have their the ones that i have visited they're free and they have little cages or like they have a more scientific name uh, that i can't remember right now um that where they go and lay the eggs and then the the eggs are actually collected so it really depends on what kind of farm um there's also cage but there's they're becoming less and less common we're moving towards more cage free and those are the ones that i've actually visited Wow. And the reason why we're talking about this on Arthropod is because there's this association and infestation of bed bugs in these poultry houses. So, you know, we've talked about how bed bugs, I mean, they're, we're their hosts because we're humans. And often people ask, like, are they biting my pets? Are they eating, you know, other things? I know there's bat bugs and there's chimney swift bugs yeah. and tropical bed bugs and whatnot. How did those, like, how did those bed bugs get to the chicken houses in the first place. I'm gonna first address uh, <laughs> what you said about uh, people asking if pet, pets can be bitten, and that's actually one of my first interests when I started my PhD. That was that. That's what I wanted to pursue. It's been really hard to get there, but the idea. There's one paper talking that they they have not found evidence of it. However, we have conversations with pest controllers that said that they have seen dogs, uh, dog beds, and dog uh, cats beds uh, full of bed bugs and full of bed bugs debris and there's owners of these pets actually complaining that they see their animals uh, mm. like itching a lot mm. and these and heavy infestations so the idea of bed dogs feeding on companion animals i believe it's completely true they are looking for food the society is moving to a point that we are coexisting with companion animals. There's more and more people that live with their animals. I'm one, and my dog and my cat, those are my kids. They live with me in my apartment. Mm-hmm. So the idea of bed dogs feeding companion animals, I think it's it's completely true. Like, it's happening mm-hmm. out there. It's just tough to be able to have proof of it because we don't know the effects of bed dogs in animals. We don't know right. how they feed for how long. So... That idea, I think, is through. We just need research. Do you think on it. they prefer humans, though? 
Um, if they're hungry, I believe they will go for right whatever. Yeah. So anecdotally, the only time I've seen、um, or heard of you know clients ha- having bed bugs on their dogs was when it was a very heavy infestation,、yes. and the dogs weren't very. They, they had some nutritional problems where they didn't have any hair. Yeah. So they were basically、of、hairless、course. dogs.、Yeah. So they kind of had、mm-hmm. skin that would be easily. I, I think it's not a matter of the bed bug. Preferring the human is a matter. Bedbugs don't walk long, and if we bring the bedbug to the house, they will stay near us. Because、right. if we think about it, the evolutionary is true that they come from、uh, birds or bats. They don't really. They just want blood. It's like、mm-hmm. a mosquito. They they really want blood. So I think the correlation between bedbugs and humans is because of it, they're really close to each other in terms of hosts.、Mm-hmm. Um, and when there are big infestations, they have the necessity of moving around because there's not they they there's not enough. Kind of like they move the population and they found another host and attraction to other、mm-hmm. hosts, which is the dog. Yes, the human can be the main host. But I think other hosts will be as preferable as a human when possible. We'd probably be the easiest host because we sleep so much of、yeah. our lives, and we stay for in the bed for a long time. They just have、oh, to sit、yeah. and wait. It's a buffet. It's true, and we're like, oh, bed. Yeah, and we're、exactly. there because yeah. There are studies trying to evaluate ho-、uh, host preference. Actually, Kovichal is it's. Have worked on it for a long time, and we are now evaluating humans versus chicken to see if there's any preference among them. I can't tell much about that research because、yeah. I'm not heavily involved in it, but I know there's there's studies trying to evaluate host preference in、right. the industry. Yeah, and I guess because we think of ourselves, what we'd be closest to probably are our dogs. So that's why I think when you know the thought of that they feed on chickens as readily or in such high numbers. So, like, just tell me what it's like when you go in there, or, or the, even the first time that you got to tour a, a poultry facility. Or a- that was probably <laughs> one of the accidentalities, one of the most exciting days in my career. It's like, oh wow, I'm pretty sure no one else will agree with me because there was like the workers there definitely did not agree with my excitement.、Um, but I was like, wow, this is like at Disney- Disneyland of bed books. There were so many, so thousands and thousands. You can see them walking. Usually, you don't when you go to a house infested. Is you have to look for bed books. You have to actually lift mattresses and all these things. In poultry industry, you just have to lift a lid and you see hundreds of bed books aggregating. And you just look at a pole like a wood pole and you see hundreds and hundreds of eggs. So it's once you open that door and it's heavily infested, you are seeing. Insane amount of bed bugs, and I think to address the question that you asked earlier, how do they got there? How do, how do bed bugs get there?、Uh, there's、um, arguments in 1940s that they think that's when bed bugs, the first reports of bed bugs in poultry farms started.、Mm-hmm. Uh, there's arguments that mention that it is possible, and it's probably the the main reason that humans actually introduce bed bugs to poultry houses, and it makes sense. Like if if someone has Bed dogs in their belongings and bring the belongings to the farm, and the, suddenly the bed dogs is left in a place that is even better than a house. Is temperature control? It has food available twenty four seven. It's not like the human that actually can leave the bed. These chickens are there all the time, so they find your left bed dogs. It only takes one female to create like a, a population. So I think it's probably human introduction in those to how 
they got to poultry houses. Okay. So not like birds or things yeah. nesting there. At least for, for the common bed bugs, uh, I think there's need there's a need for us civilians to see what kind of populations we have. Like do we have bad bugs because it's possible that we could have bad bugs do we have other kind of uh from birds but i the ones that i have seen are cymex like large is the common bed bugs and i think it's definitely a human introduction wow i interviewed dr harold harlan like a while ago oh my god and he talked to <laughs> oh yeah it was amazing <laughs> he talked to me about I think he was like, hey, did you know that this, you know, the, the stories of, of the poultry houses and maybe that was a possibility of why, you know, everyone always wants to know, like, why did they come back? Why did bed bugs come back? Not that they probably ever left, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they were suppressed for a little while, but that poultry house is one of the reasons why that they might have been on the rebound. What yeah. do you have thoughts about that? I, I fully agree. I mean, it's hard yeah. to disagree with that mind, right. but no, I, I fully <laughs> agree uh, with the fact that there is, there is a chance that's why they actually never left. Treating all three houses is very challenging. There's many cracks and crevices. So we probably suppress populations there because we they were almost eradicated. Obviously, similar to urban environments with DDT and organophosphates. And organophosphates I still use in farms, but we saw a resistance matter. So, And they have a lot more chances to hide in poultry mm-hmm. industry. So the idea that they could have stayed in very low numbers without being in a big annoyance in in poultry industry is completely acceptable. Like I, I, It's true. That is, it could be one of the reasons why bed books came back. Have they done any um, genetic testing of the, the bed bugs in poultry farms? There is, I believe, one study on, but it's, it's more towards resistance. Like, is there uh-huh. any resistance in, in poultry? But genetic itself, I think it's it's a very new field in terms of, like, it, it happened in 1940s and it goes up to 1980s with information and like hey we're having this issue it kind of shut down and it's starting to like take place again so there's a lot of space for many questions to be asked Mm -hmm. like genetic for example Mm -hmm. and what are the impacts of having bed bugs infest these type of farms can you address some of those yeah it's it's very interesting because once again there's not a lot of studies to understand the overall impact of bed bugs in poultry industry. However, we can argue understanding other pests, for example, the mites. We could, there's another ectoparasite that feeds on them and relies on them to survive, like the bed bug. We think that they can cause feather loss, they can cause stress, and stressed chickens won't produce eggs, stressed chickens will be, won't eat, won't sleep. So chickens are very sensitive. Stress chickens is a very big factor. They can probably cause anemia if we have them in chicks. Uh, we have bed bug infestation in chicks. They can probably cause anemia because these infestations are very heavy. So they can probably cause irritations in the skin that will probably lead to secondary infections. Uh, the pecking uh, behavior, them pecking at themselves mm-hmm. because they have bed bugs or pecking at others, that, that aggress- aggressive behavior can also be extended. So. This is all what we think could happen, but obviously there's there's a need to understand the actual health impact of bed bugs mm-hmm. on chickens. And the cost, probably. And definitely the cost. The cost <laughs> is if you have non-healthy chickens, first off, it's not humane. Second off, that is going to be a lot of money that mm-hmm. you, the industry is going to lose because these chickens are not producing. They're not up to the standard of production. Mm-hmm. 
It makes me feel bad for the poor chicken. I I grew so close to chickens. I <laughs> every time I eat, it's like I, I I am in the process of becoming vegetarian. This is tough. Why am I doing this? Because you grow so you see these infestations and you see like I as a human, when I get one bed dog that bites like bites me, I complain. Like it hurts and it's annoying. I can't understand like how these chickens, you know. Are they feeling the same that I am feeling? Mm-hmm. Is it itchy, you know? So it's it's can I ask them? I wish they could talk to me. Uh, so I grew very close to chickens with this project. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been any bed bugs reported in like backyard flocks or anything? That is an like interesting that? question. Uh, not that I know of, not to my knowledge. However, I do not see why it's not possible, but it's harder because when you have a backyard, you probably will have bed bugs in your house. Because if we think if it's a human if a human transmission, like a human movement of the bed bugs, the human will have to move the bed bugs to the, the backyard, for example. So you have to be a human introduction. Uh, but it's not. It's totally possible. Like We mm-hmm. haven't seen it, mm-hmm. but it's... But it's possible. At least I haven't seen it, but it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk a little about, about your research? Because you got to handle chickens and feed chickens to bed bugs, right? Yeah. So I want to understand the control options that we have to address this problem in bed bug infestations, because we do have chemical options and we do have heat treatments. However, this is a very challenging environment because we have to be very careful about the health of the chicken and how residual these insecticides are. So we have to be very careful on what we're putting out there to kill bed bugs. It has to be something that is approved. And we also have a very limited window. Most of the insecticides that we have, we are only able to use it when birds are not present. Is it ever empty? Uh, yeah, okay. we do have empty windows where you are required to clean. So, for example, when, when these birds are ready to be processed, um, you have to take them out to the processing farm. And then you have, like, they have one to three weeks, depending on the farm, uh, sometimes it's more, to clean and sanitize completely this uh, structure for the next flock to come. And that is also our window to treat most of the time, which makes it really challenging because they have already a task. They have to sanitize to the T, every single corner. And we also have to treat. This is a very challenging thing to do when you have to also apply insecticide for, for many pests, but specifically for bed bugs, it's very challenging. So what I'm trying to do is use drugs that are already available for chicken use to control bed bugs. And this is not a foreign concept. We use it for mites in chickens. And if we want to take it a little bit over more to the human side, we use it for dogs and cats to treat fleas and ticks. And actually humans even use it to try to avoid malaria and mosquitoes in Africa. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's not a foreign concept. Mm-hmm. So we want to use drugs that are available. And uh, my focus is to try to uh, see if there's drugs that are compatible with chicken um, and we can use them to actually control bed bugs. So what I did, I tried it first in the lab. Uh, just to make sure that I have something that works. I didn't want it to just go feed uh, chickens things. Um, this is obviously all with the collaboration of North Carolina Veterinary School because mm-hmm. I'm not a vet. <laughs> I do not understand that portion of it. And then we select a candidate that worked and brought it to chickens under laboratory conditions. So chickens that are in veterinary that are meant to help us understand many things. And we fed them that particular drug we fed bed bugs on those chickens that were treated and evaluated mortality to see if we actually can heal bed bugs with these drugs. How do you feed chickens the drugs? In this situation, particularly was called something called gavage, 
which you kind of force the chicken to eat something. <laughs> um, however, the the products, the idea of the products is to give any water because oh, that's okay. how they they mm. give medicine or mm-hmm. or. Uh, ectoparasitics to chickens is you mix it with the, the with the water that they drink oh, okay. and so it's not anything disturbing to to them because you know you have you ever tried to give your cat medicine it's terrible <laughs> it's terrible the chickens is very similar chickens are very interesting creatures they're very similar <laughs> i grew i fell in love with one chicken she she i think she liked me she always fell asleep in my lap oh while i was like feeding my pet dog <laughs> she was like falling asleep and i sang to her that she was my special chicken oh so when you feed the bed bugs like how do you do that that is a beautiful question um i ha- i use hyrohalin actually strain which is susceptible because i didn't want to bring anything that could potentially be a, a danger to mm-hmm. to the facility so i put them in jars plastic jars that are transparent with a hard bridge in the middle like a little bridge mm-hmm. so they can move up and down and then that jar was closed with a mesh and that mesh the purpose they, they can't leave my jar but they're able to insert their proboscis so the mouth part and they're able to feed, but never leave the jar. And then uh, chickens, it's really easy to move the feathers and sea skin. So I place that jar over the chicken and bed dogs were able to feed. I allow them 10 minutes and they were, they were starved with bed dogs, so they were very hungry. And I allowed them to feed for 10 minutes and that was it. I got fed bed dogs. <laughs> so it was little groups of bed dogs that uh, I brought to the farms. What did you discover? I brought them back to the lab. I checked for <laughs> mortality over time because I wanted to know how long uh, this is, these drugs work and how effective are they. And actually, I found that even two days after treatment, I am able to reach 100%. And these oh, wow. high levels of mortality last up to 21 days. Actually, 28, but in 28, we are seeing variability. If we think about it, very similar to dogs and cats, that's why you have to give your cat and dog monthly treatments. Mm -hmm. Very similar to that, on the 28th day, it starts to decrease. I am still seeing 90s and 80%, but there's a variability. So Mm -hmm. in one group, I see 10. In one group, I see 90%. So it's we're able to say that definitely we have candidates that can work to actually control bed dogs in poultry farms. Is that... Like, would that be economical? Is it like how expensive are those drugs, and how do they know that all the chickens will be able to obtain a, a dose? Yeah, it's gonna be. We gotta effective. put it in context because, for example, I have information that or farms that I've visited that they spent fifty thousand dollars in heat treatments, one heat treatment and, uh, and and chemical treatments, and they did not achieve control or eradication. So these drugs, it, the interesting part is they're dual. They will control the northern northern fowl mite and bed dogs as well. Mm-hmm. And the formulation is in water and it's measured by the chick, the amount of chickens that you have. So you make sure that uh, chickens need water, they will drink water. You calculate for the size of your structures and the chickens that you have, uh, you put it out there. This product is actually not approved in the United States yet, so we don't oh, have numbers okay. for the United States. However, it's a product that is approved in Europe. So it's available there. I believe it's making its way here because it's very okay. effective there for the fowl mite, northern fowl mite, but it's making its way here. So, But we have northern fowl mites yes. here. Yeah. Oh, and they, we don't have any... We don't have that product yet. Wow. We have treatments, but that specific okay. product is making its way. It's very new, at least new for the poultry industry. It's a product that it has been used in dogs, but for the poultry industry, it's new. That's amazing. It is. I, I have a lot of fun reading about this because... 
you're not only reading about bed bugs, you're reading about chickens, you're reading about environmental issues, you're reading about bioavailability. So I'm I once I open the door to this research, I have learned a lot of things that I did not think about. And actually Kobe Shaw had years ago an, an experiment of they impact of cockroaches in swine farms. And that's actually one of the things that got me into his lab, like, I want to do something like that. Um, so the, the idea of urban pests affecting agricultural production settings in terms of animals is very normal. Like, it's, it's something that we have to accept because humans coexist mm-hmm. with productions. So it's not like we have rural areas and then we coexist, we exist together. So they, and and these pests are looking for food. And it gets into that like one health because we're the ones, like humans are also eating the food. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many systems and they all, all, everything works together. Together. Exactly. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about the research? Because I, well, the whole thing is just interesting. I think this, this research opens a door to understand how can we treat or control bed bugs in novel ways. We can, uh, the idea of, for example, for cockroach, we have baits. So the idea of creating a bait for bed bugs becomes more appealing when we know that we have uh, insecticides or drugs that they can ingest or eat and actually die. So that, that opens the door to a lot of questions or like, hey, can we actually move this idea from poultry farms and actually try to incorporate it in a house? Mm-hmm. So, and in the same, like, can we treat or label these products that are used for dogs and cats if they're actually getting bitten to control bed bugs when they feed on my dog and my cat? So it opens mm-hmm. the idea to very new concepts on how to treat or eradicate bed bugs. This is a uh, a collaboration. Obviously, Dr. Shiel and, and Sierras and Shal have investigated this concept, and it is a growing concept. I think, like, it, I confidently can say that within 10 years, I'm, I'm expecting to see something like this, very similar to what we have seen with cockroaches. So there is hope, at least, to, to control bed bugs in that matter. Do you think anything like that would ever be available for humans in the future? Uh, to, to, for humans to take a drug? Yeah, it's like for, for ticks or for... I think so. Like, yeah. I, personally, if I had a horrible infestation in my house, I will gladly take an ivermectin pill. Obviously, on the recommendations of my doctor and the talk through and all of these things. Because the idea have worked for malaria in Africa and mosquitoes. So it's... Ivermectin is not a new drug. It's, it's called actually the miracle drug. So everyone has probably heard of it by now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> absolutely, I'm not recommending these. Please don't, don't, no. Um, parasite. Yeah, but the idea of it, it's, it's definitely uh, feasible to 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 have that for humans. It just is going to be very difficult and challenging to get it approved because the human system it's very complicated and we we have a lot of laws and i, I agree with these laws you know uh, mm-hmm. but it's going to become more difficult for humans but for example ivermectin is a great example to that um i was able i actually use ivermectin in the lab and it, it does cause mortality in bed books, mm-hmm. at least under laboratory conditions so i think in theory it should work i can see mm-hmm. it in the future if the competition between human and urban pests is too too big i can see that right. becoming a possibility because there are some things too, 
like if, if bed bugs are feeding on someone and they're on a blood thinner or some other kind of medication, it yeah. affects it affects the bed bugs. Exactly. And Which you don't want when you're doing research. Of course, but. of course. That is a beautiful <laughs> topic that I actually love. And I will, if I have the chance in this life, uh, I would like to develop more. Like, can are humans that are taking, for example, elderly infestation, infestations in elderly house, these people are taking medications daily. Are bed bugs being affected by these medications? Like, is it creating something, mortality, sublethal effects? That is a beautiful part of the bed bug control that it would be really cool to, to know and to understand. I just feel like the sky is the limit for you. I feel like you could do projects, like, forever, your whole entire life. You're so curious and enthusiastic and interested in, in discovering things and helping people and helping the ecosystem what is next for you yeah thank you so much that was so so kind (laughs) um i am finally finishing my phd now in in next month i will be defending all of these projects and after that i i am will be working with the department of defense i will be moving to work with them and continue my research in insecticide resistance wow my overall hope is that someday I'm from Puerto Rico, so that someday I can go back there, even if I'm 50, and do research there in insecticide resistance and have a community of Hispanics uh, using my heritage for Hispanics to understand Umber Pest because the information that we get is very, very limited because it's not our language. And in translation, a lot of things get lost. And for us, controlling pests is harder. We don't have, for example, I come from Puerto Rico, we don't have seasons. So my overall goal in life is to be able to be an urban entomologist for Hispanic communities, especially uh, Spanish speakings, because I know how difficult it is to jump between um, between a Spanish-speaking country and a Spanish-speaking place, Hispanic, to the urban entomology environment and understand these concepts that are completely like deep and like, different than what we, we know. Mm-hmm. What can we do here to produce resources that would be helpful? We need to translate information. We need to educate people. We need to bring more minority students into these topics to try to break with the fear of urban entomology and the fear of these pests. That it's overall, it's like, that's not only for Hispanics, but we have no representation in urban entomology. And I think that is one of the biggest things, like have representation, we need to understand, we need to understand the science. It has to be translated. There's no reason why it's not. We have to intertwine with the science and we're more than capable of. So I, I think that's one of the main things that I will fight for in this life is to to have to have the chance to provide opportunities for people like me that need to understand what is happening for my cockroach in my kitchen. Well, you are a wonderful role model and I, oh. I, we would love to help you do that. Let's figure it out. And I think if you would have kept believing that you couldn't come to the, to the States to study because your English wasn't good enough like just think about how different that would be yeah and it's it's still tough like to this day i'm like oh i'm gonna present i'm so scared because my brain is in spanish so it's it sticks with you but it's still good to push through it you are i would never have thought you were nervous i mean we sat and had coffee you had coffee (laughs) and we're just sitting there and i was like wow you're going to get up there in front of like everybody and do the thing and you were like you know just drinking coffee and doing whatever (laughs) and when I was oh I would 
probably peed and pooped my pants like just thinking <laughs> about it was. no watching um you know the grad students of today i just oh you guys are they were so amazing cool. that group of presenters were, were really good i love the, to see the research that students and college students are are becoming with us it's it's amazing yeah well it's so exciting what what you've done if anybody wants to get in touch with you do you have any social media or anything that you would want to plug it will probably be easier to reach me through Instagram. It will be MAGM313. It's my initials. I have a long name. I'm Hispanic. So it's <laughs> MAGM313, my favorite numbers. And then uh, email. Email will be a, a great option. Um, it's long. It's M-A-G-O-N-Z. 23 at ncsu.edu. So because it's that long, probably Instagram will be easier. Okay. I can put that in the show notes. Oh, that would be amazing. What, what kind of things do you put on Instagram? Do you- I post, uh, I like pictures and I post a lot of like flowers and look at this book and I saw this caterpillar. So you'll see a couple of things like that. You also see my cat and my dog a lot. Um, but I tend to post a lot of flowers and I dab, I love poetry. Aww. And that's one of the things that I would like to do once I finish my PhD to, to start doing more poetry. And there's a lot of poetry in my, in my Instagram. If I, I'm one of those persons, I see a flower, it's like, oh, may the flowers last for, so you'll see a lot of that. <laughs> Oh, I just love you. Even when they're asking you these hard questions from the audience, you're like, that's a beautiful question. I get excited. I love you questions. Oh. Even though if I don't know, I like, love questions. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share? If Hispanics people or minorities itself are listening to these, please push through. Don't let anyone intimidate you. Um, you know, you have questions and you deserve your answers independently of where you come from. Do you think, did you have a mentor? Like what helps, what helped you and how can we help others? It, it's, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was really rough. Um, college was, was, was a tough experience. However, I did have one professor, um, Maria, Maria Lugo. She was my professor for actually, um, malezas. Let me, let me try to translate that word. <laughs> weeds, weeds. And she, she was amazing. She was the one who told me, like, you should, that, her and my insect professor, Aristides, they were both like, consider going to grad school. It'll be a good experience. Like, what are you going to do? I was like, I have no idea. And I remember them, like, you should consider it. Like, we did it. We didn't know English either, and we did it. And I was like, I have no funds. I have no sources. I have no money. Like, how am I going to do it? It's like, apply for things. Start asking questions. And I feel like, People like that, it, it only takes one person to tell you, like, I think you can do it for you to push through it. Because if one person believed in me, um, it was enough for me to be like, well, maybe it's possible. So I, I, I encourage all Hispanics and all minorities, like, I, I do believe in you. It's, it's definitely possible. You, mm-hmm. you just have to push through it. And it, it's going to become, the opportunities will come to you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just wonderful. It just should end there. That's how it should end. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for letting me interview you. Listeners, you can check out our show notes at arthro-pod at blogspot.com. You can find our podcast on any of your favorite podcatcher apps. You can find us on Twitter at arthro underscore podshow. I'm on Twitter at Jody Bugs Me UNL. And, uh, you know, stay tuned for another episode in the future. It's time for our insect heroes to put away their nets and pheromone traps. Join us next time, same bug time, same bug channel, as the Arthropod Gang 
Make the world safe from Poor Insect Podcast. Until then, keep on bugging.